0: have essentially the same story as we had last week in John chapter 6, uh, verses 15 through 21. <clears throat> so if you'll turn to Matthew 14, that's basically where we're going to camp out today. <clears throat> last week we talked about the need for us to recognize that Jesus is in the boat with us and how much difference it makes when we know that he's in the boat with us because we saw the disciples rowing in the dark on the sea of galilee with the wind against them and big waves and jesus was not physically in the boat with them so today we're going to take a little bit different look and see what does it mean to get out of the boat let's go ahead and pray father in heaven we ask for your mercy and your grace today that we'd be able to understand your word we'd be able to apply it in the many different ways it can be applied but to understand it as a physical reality and the truth that it is that there's many applications but the interpretation is single We ask for your grace this morning in Jesus' name. So last week we talked about the disciples, and we saw that they were in the boat because Jesus told them to. Um, If you just read the passage in John, it sounds like they abandoned him. They just got in the boat and left. They didn't know where Jesus was. Let's go home. And as we read the other gospel accounts of the same situation in Matthew and Mark, Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 9, I believe, 6. Yeah, chapter 6. Uh, we see that there was more to the story. Jesus commanded them to get into the boat. In fact, he uses a different word. It says constrained. It means they didn't want to go. He torqued on them. He twisted their arm. He told them, get in the boat and go. I'll catch up. Okay. So we saw that last week. And we saw that they were in kind of uncomfortable circumstances. The wind picked up. So there was a big wind. It says a great wind. And the wind was contrary to them. We read it in Matthew. And the waves were getting big. And they're in a rowboat going across the Sea of Galilee. And they've rowed and rowed and rowed. And they've only made about three or four miles offshore. And it's plumb dark now. They saw Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. As they're facing to the rear, pulling those oars, they suddenly see this guy walking on the water. They're scared. They thought it was a ghost and jesus comforted them by speaking to them we saw that his word is where we find peace and joy and they received him into the boat and then the boat was all of a sudden miraculously where they were going it was on the other side of the lake so last week that's what we were talking about and those were the physical realities but we applied it in a way to look at our own lives and say okay i'm in the boat i'm i'm where jesus put me i'm doing what he wanted me to do, but things are getting rough. Is Jesus in the boat? Well, yeah, he is. And and realizing that he's in the boat with us makes a whole lot of difference in how we feel about completing the assignment he's given us. It might be something simple that's just our everyday Christian life, or it might be something that's a little bit out of our comfort zone. And that's what we're gonna talk about today because the physical reality was that they were physically in a boat where Jesus was physically not, and it was physically rough water, physically big wind, and physically dark out. Okay, That was the reality. We applied it in a metaphor, making it that I'm doing what God wanted me to do, but it's looking pretty dark, and things are getting rough, and I'm scared, and I want to know where's Jesus. Well, that's what we talked about last week. But see, here's the other side of that physical reality, is that Peter and the other disciples, most of them, not all of them, but several of them, were commercial fishermen. They were experts at small boat handling. And they had a boat that was seaworthy, and they had oars, and they knew how to use them. And and ultimately, in spite of the storm, they were pretty much in their comfort zone. This is what they're used to. They knew how to handle up to a point. Yes, there came a point where things were, they couldn't handle it anymore. We see that in a different account. But in reality, they were where they were supposed to be. They knew to depend on the seaworthiness sea of that vessel. They knew to depend on their own expertise as veteran commercial fishermen, and they knew to depend on the strength of their oars and the strength of their strength of their backs and arms and legs as they're rowing. And they knew what they were doing. So where was their real faith? Well, up till that point, it was. Mainly, I guess, in the boat. I mean, if the boat's not seaworthy, all the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. If you're trying to row out there on a little skiff and big waves like that, probably you're in trouble. Uh, You want to bear in mind there were no helicopters, there were no life jackets, there were no lifelines. Uh, The reality was they were dependent on that boat. So Peter's experience fed his confidence being in the boat and his own expertise. Uh, they were much comforted when Jesus came aboard but in John it left out what we're going to read about here in Matthew Uh, everything was the same up to a point Uh, we'll start in verse 22 here in Matthew 14 it says straightway or immediately Jesus constrained that means kind of forced them his disciples to get into a ship a small boat and to go before him unto the other side where, uh, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up unto a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening had come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So this is how we knew the wind was against him. Over in John, it just said it was a great wind, and the sea arose because of the great wind. Get wind going, the waves pick up big. <clears throat> especially in a fairly shallow lake like Galilee. Um, I've lost my place here. Ah, verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. Let's see, fourth watch of the night, that's way into the night, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit. Now the King James Bible uses the word spirit as we use ghost and use ghost as we use spirit so when they said they thought they saw a spirit that means they thought they were seeing a ghost uh, when we talk about the holy holy Ghost in the King James is what we would say the Holy Spirit that's just fine English changed over the years <clears throat> but immediately Jesus made uh, spoke unto them saying be of good cheer it is I be not afraid and that's what it said over in The gospel of john as well and in john it skipped to the point that they gladly received him into the boat willingly received him into the boat and then they were at the place they were going (coughs) but here there's a little parenthetical story that john skipped he didn't say anything about this matthew tells this story peter verse 28 peter answered him and said lord if it be thou (coughs) bid me come up uh, unto thee on the water and he said come and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, boisterous, boisterous, I like that word, <clears throat> he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of truth, Thou art the Son of God. I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> All right, so here's the issue. We're going back to the physical reality. They're in a storm at night with big waves and big wind and no lifelines and no life jackets and no um, locator beacons or helicopters or any of that good stuff. Okay. Why would it not necessarily be a good idea to get out of the boat? Because it's a guaranteed way to die. You get out of the boat in the dark, in a storm. The boat is going to drift faster than you will because you're all the way down in the water and the boat's mostly on top of the water. The wind catches that and it goes faster than an Olympic swimmer can swim. You can't catch up, so you're going away. Not a good idea. And Peter, knowing all this, he's a commercial fisherman. He's an expert. Knowing all that said, if that's really you, command me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus says, do it. Let's go. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of being in the boat with Jesus and Jesus being in the boat with us and when it comes time to get out of the boat, what's that mean? Because last week we were talking about being in the boat, meaning doing what God wants you to do and being a believer in the first place and so forth. So in 1973 i first believed the good news that jesus had died for me that his blood paid for all of my sins we call that the good news the gospel that he was buried that he was resurrected on the third day that he was he's living forever and that somehow in doing all that pardon me i'm getting the hiccups and somehow in doing all that he took my sins to the cross with him, took him off of me, and he transferred his righteousness to me. And I believed that, and I was I was happy about it, I was rejoicing in that, and I was excited about it, and I told other people about it, just as, as Chuck was telling people about Jesus this morning uh, at, at Safeway. I believed that. I wanted to serve Jesus with my life. <clears throat> But real soon, I started to notice there was something wrong. I was still sinning. Not only I was still sinning, but as a believer, I was much more conscious of it. So I was keenly aware, I'm not getting it. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And all the joy I'd felt before was collapsing. I was getting pretty depressed over it. And I'd suffered from depression before, so this wasn't the cause of it. This was just one more thing to be depressed about. So I tried to control my sin by by willpower and by by self denial, by prayer, by avoiding tempting circumstances. Stay out of there. Don't don't get out of there. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those. I even tried fasting and and sacrificial giving and so forth. <clears throat> and I tried confessing my faults to others instead of just to God. And none of those things brought freedom. See, i knew i was in the boat with jesus but things were going rough and i didn't know what was wrong i, I didn't know why i didn't have any power over sin <clears throat> well the fact is saved people sin that's fact save people still sin paul fought the same battle if you read in romans chapter 7 especially verses oh, 7 through 25 paul talks about his experience in trying to live the christian life in his own power which we might also call in the flesh. Okay, well, we need to talk about that. See, what Paul discovered in Romans chapter 7, verse 17, is that he had a principle living within him, a sin nature living within him, and that God no longer sees that old sin nature as him. He says, I want to do God's will, but sin living in me refuses. In Romans chapter 8, we find out that that old sin nature is not only not subject to God's will, it cannot be. It it will never be cured. It will never be healed. The only thing God could do is destroy it and give us a new nature. So I've got my old sin nature still living in me, but I have a new nature. And God says, that's the only you I want to talk to. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse twenty. 2 through 24 he goes into a little more detail in verse 22 in the king james it says that we put off the old man that old sin nature which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust well if you read that in a newer translation uh, new american standard New, new international whatever it says being corrupted that this old nature is being corrupted that's correct it's a it's a present tense continuous verb in in greek and it means it's, it's still in the process. It's getting worse. It, it eats sin like we eat food. It drinks sin like we drink water. And, and when I sin and when I choose to expose myself to uh, sinful influences, my old sin nature gets stronger. It's getting more corrupt. It isn't going to get better. And God says it can't be made better. He's going to get rid of it the day we die. I'll never have it again. Okay. So that's Good news. Paul had that same battle. Paul couldn't stop sinning. He couldn't live a life pleasing to God. And the next point is really a hard one, is that Jesus said that old nature came from the devil himself. Whoa. In John chapter 8, verses Oh, verse 44 is the key where it says, you're of your father, the devil. But starting in verse 39, he told the Jews, no, you're, you're not God's offspring. You know, we all hear people saying, oh, everybody's a child of God. No, they're not. I wasn't a child of God until I was 18. I was an atheist. I was a child of Satan and I was headed for hell. God says so. Read Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses. It says, I was by nature, that means by birth, the child of wrath, just like everybody else. That's what it says. We were by nature the children of wrath even as others and we did the same things as all the children of disobedience did because that's who we were and jesus said that he recognized their parentage by their behavior he says you're of your father the devil and his works will you do he was a murderer from the beginning and when he speaks a lie he speaks his own language because he is a father, he's, the, uh, he's a liar and the father of lies, it says in uh, John eight forty four. So the human race is behaving just like their spiritual father. We all died spiritually in, in the Garden of Eden when Adam fell into sin. And, and incidentally, when you read that passage, pay attention because you'll notice that nothing happened until Adam ate Sure, Eve ate first, but nothing happened when she ate. Why, because she did not have the authority to make the decision. Adam was the one given the order to not eat of that, and in the, the day he ate of it, he would surely die. When she ate, nothing happened. When he ate, both of them died spiritually. Why, because he was the, what we call the federal head of the human race. And what he did affected every other human that came from him, well, that included Eve, Let's see. What would have happened if he didn't and she did? I don't know. We're not told that. All I know is that in Romans chapter five, verse twelve, it says, By one man death entered, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death passed upon all for that all have sinned. Okay. Don't ever get blaming Eve for whatever your problems are. So that's who I was by birth. How hopeless could i get i was trying to bring god an offering made out of what offended him the most i was trying to bring him an offering that came from the ground that he had just cursed does that sound familiar that's what cain brought he tried to bring an offering from the ground when god had just got done cursing the ground he says cursed be the ground for thy sake he says the thorns and thistles it'll bring forth he was telling adam but it was the ground that was cursed excuse me abel brought a blood sacrifice in obedience and god reasoned with cain saying if you'll do right i'll receive you too bring that sacrifice recognize your sin cain skirted the issue he circumvented the cross he didn't want to deal with sin he wanted just i know i'm free i can worship you oh you're cool i like you have some broccoli it might not have been broccoli you know, but he brought a vegetable offering, a non-blood sacrifice, and it was not received. Okay? The problem was he wasn't dealing with his sin. And I could have done the same thing. But I would already recognized that I couldn't stop sinning as an unbeliever. And I trusted that Jesus' blood at the cross was enough to pay for my sins. But I thought as a believer I ought to be able to stop sinning. Well, it wasn't working. <clears throat> but what I found out is the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible and i can't do it and neither can you you know how i know because jesus said it was impossible in john chapter 15 verse 5 he told his disciples apart from me you can do nothing and he meant it exactly like that nothing they did was going to please god unless they allowed him to work through them why well because when he's not working through us the only thing happening is our old sin nature waving its flag again okay We don't like to read that verse the way it actually reads. We like to change it in our minds. We think, well, he means I can't do as much, or or, I can't do very much, or I can't do it as efficiently. It won't be the same quality. No, he said nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he meant. See? Christians still sin, and it's not okay. Okay. God says it's not. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's a command. If you want to toss that one out, I guess you better toss out the rest of your Bible with it because that is God's word. That's what he says. Am I comfortable with that? No. On my own, I cannot do what he wants me to do. I feel like I can't. Uh, we Last week in Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, we were talking about this and And we agreed that if my works at any point are are affecting whether I'm going to be saved or not, then I'm lost. Because that's going to be the weak link. Uh, If Jesus' work at the cross was what it took, then I'm saved. Because his work was completed. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Paul proved that the desire to do good isn't enough. He had the desire. He was raised up a Jew. He knew the word. And once he realized that the word condemned him and that he was a sinner and lost, well, he kind of died inside. But even after he became a believer as a saved individual, he was trying to live the spiritual life in the power of the flesh. And no matter how much he wanted to do it, it wasn't going to happen. At the end of chapter 7, he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? i i thank god for the victory through jesus christ then he sweeps right into romans chapter eight and starts telling us how we can walk with the lord jesus said self-effort isn't enough he warned the disciples they couldn't accomplish anything without him and paul certainly tried it and didn't work and we've all tried it and it doesn't work One other thing to notice in this passage, Jesus did not say that he's going to take our half-baked ideas and plans and kind of pat them into shape and somehow make them work and then bless us for our effort. That's not what he says. You see, in that whole passage in John chapter 15, when he said, apart from me you can do nothing, that was the I am the vine, ye are the branches passage. That's why he concluded, apart from me you can do nothing. You see, the, the branches don't get to decide what kind of fruit they're going to bear or what season of the year they're going to bear it. Everything in the branches comes from the vine. The genetic information, the life direction, the sustenance, the growth, and the fruit all are dependent on the vine. The vines don't get to say, i got a good idea. Let's let's pray real heavy, and then let's all start growing cornflakes, because that will go with the raisins and the grapes that all the other vines are bearing. Right. No. No. The vine chooses the fruit. And he chooses the season in which you bear fruit. We don't get to choose to bear cornflakes. This is why we choose as a church to try to do things God's way, try to do things the way God says. Years ago, a man named Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. The other side of that is God does not guarantee he's gonna support our efforts and ideas. He guarantees he's gonna support his word. So if we try to step in line with what he wants and do what he wants, then we can pretty much guarantee he's gonna be backing us up and making us making things work for us. So let's talk again about walking on water. How many of you here feel you can walk on water? I don't see any hands. Funny. Mine's not up there either. <coughs> Can't do that. 47 years ago, when I was in Bible school, I knew a young man named Dennis O'Keefe. He late, later married a young lady named Jeanie Nance, and the two of them served in the Philippines as missionaries for about 35 years, and as I understand, they're back living in Illinois now. But 47 years ago, when I met Dennis, he told me that years before that, he had been in a Christian camp at a lake someplace, and as a fairly new believer, he was really, really wanting to know that his faith was real, and he's got this powerful walk with God. And so he's deep in prayer one night at the camp, and asked God just as a sign to allow him to walk on water. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was out by himself, standing on the sandy shore of this lake, and he prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, stepped out, and he took another step, and another step. And when he got up to his knees without a single step of having been on top of the water, he waded back to shore and was pretty unhappy because he felt like, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, no is an answer. It's okay for God to say no. But the next day he realized there's no faith involved in walking on water, so to speak, off of this really shallow, flat, sandy shore. If I was serious about it, I need to get out at the end of the dock. You can see what's coming. So sure, he went out to the end of that dock and he stood there and he prayed for a long, long time. Asking for God's mercy, asking for God's blessing, asking for God to give him the powerful faith that he needed and he finally took that step. And he swam back to shore and his friends asked him, what happened to you? And he lied and says, I fell off the dock. (laughs) He didn't want to tell him what he'd really done. Okay, so that's an amusing story and we chuckle over it. But what was the problem? Wasn't he seeking by faith to please God? Okay, well, incidentally, like I said, he and his wife served on the foreign field for 35 years really faithfully. In fact, when the mission they were working with shut down the work on the particular island where they were, they said, we're not done with the work God sent us to do. And they said, well, that's too bad. We're not going to work there anymore. So they quit that mission, went out independently, and finished the work of translation or whatever it was they were doing in that particular village in that particular language before they turned around and went home and you know i'm pretty sure that he caught on here someplace in there so what is faith okay here's the answer for you this is one you'd have to search out to get piecemeal through the scripture because there's lots of places that describe faith there's lots of places that describe the result of faith but collectively we find out that faith is an obedient response to a revealed truth. It's not presumption. Faith is an obedient response to a revealed truth. If the revealed truth is believe the gospel and be saved, then an obedient response is to believe the gospel and the result is you're saved. If the the revealed truth is Chuck this morning felt strongly, he needed to go ahead and share the gospel with this lady, Well, then you step out in faith and you do what God told you to do. And that's what he did. And it resulted in more than he expected. He got to share with four people. Okay? He stepped out of the boat. He got out of his comfort zone. See, Dennis was not obeying a call from God to walk on water. He just wanted a sign. See? And God said no. There was no faith in that story. That was presumption and immaturity. And we can understand that. We can chuckle about it. We're not blaming him for it. It's something that all of us have done. No real harm was done. He learned from it. His pride suffered a bit. He learned by the experience. But let's read, we just read another story that's very similar really. In Matthew 14, verses 28 through 33, Peter asked Jesus, if it's really you, bid me come to you walking on the water. Command me to come. See, he asked almost the same thing Dennis did, but Dennis asked, give me some proof of my faith and let me walk on water. Peter asked, give me some proof of your identity, command me to come to you walking on the water. Because they thought they were seeing a ghost. In, in Peter's case, he obeyed Jesus' command to come. That's faith. In Dennis's case, he tried to twist God's arm and get him to show him a miracle. And God said, no, not tonight. Sides you need to get wet. <clears throat> Peter was not on a comfortable flat beach asking to walk on water. He was in a storm, and his only comfort zone was the boat he was in and the oars he was pulling on. And he asked Jesus for a command to do something which otherwise would have been certainly suicidal. Getting out of a boat in a storm at night with high winds and big waves is a guaranteed way to drown. Peter asked for Jesus' authority to do something impossible. And if Jesus said, no, wait, I'm gonna come get you and then we're gonna go walking on the water together, well, that would have been a different story and we wouldn't have had the lesson we're having this morning. The whole circumstance would have been different. Uh, So think about this. If I had asked Dennis the night that, either of the nights that he had tried to walk on water, if I said, Dennis, can you walk on water? Uh, Unhesitatingly, he would have told me, no, If I asked Peter the same thing, especially after he had had this experience, but he'd have said no, the same as Dennis would have to say, but after that experience, he might have qualified that statement saying, well, okay, under two conditions. One, Jesus has to command me to walk on water or it can't be done. By his authority, it can be done. The second one is that I have to focus on him If I get distracted, I'm going to sink. And that's the simple fact of the matter. And that's the best lesson we can probably get out of this. See, now, had Peter practiced on calm water? Did he get scared of the big waves because he'd just never walked on water when it was wavy before? No, there was no practice whatsoever. There was nothing he could do to prepare himself for this experience except to learn to believe Jesus' word and obey him. And that's what he had been doing. Not very long. He hadn't known Jesus very long yet, but he'd learned that much. When the Lord calls us to do something outside of our comfort zone, we need to be prepared to get out of the boat. He got out because he believed Jesus. That was faith. What Dennis did was presumptuous. Now, if Peter had Never taking his eyes off Jesus, we also wouldn't have the lesson we're having tonight. Because what today, because what we saw was that when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, seeing the wind boisterous, he started to sink immediately, and Jesus caught his hand and pulled him up. Okay. When God says, "Be holy, for I am holy," we want to say, "I can't do this." Well, that's true, but He never asked you to do it on your own. He never asked you to. He asks you to focus on Him, learn to walk with Him. That's all He's asking on a daily basis. In fact, in Genesis, Genesis, uh, Galatians, in Galatians chapter two, verse twenty-one, Paul said, "I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if it were possible to, if righteousness, if justification, if it was possible to be justified by works of the law, in other words, if I could do righteous behavior on my own." Then Christ died in vain. He died for nothing. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross if it was possible for us to work our way and do something that pleased God on our own. Well, it's not possible, and that was his point. So we're in the boat through faith and obedience. We we joined Jesus in the boat, so to speak. The the day we were saved, He is in that boat with us, regardless. But we start to place our confidence in the boat. And our circumstances, and I've been here all my life, and this is what I do. Uh, and there comes a point where he wants us to step out of that comfort zone and do something we're not comfortable with. I, I I knew a guy that was convinced that God was calling him to the mission field, and and his excuse that well I can't do that. You see, the market's really bad, and I'd never be able to sell my house. And the day he prayed that and said yeah you know god save sell my house for me i could go his neighbor from in back of him approached him over the backyard fence saying if you ever want to sell your house i want to know about it because i'd like to buy your house and he's like god took away his excuse see if god tells you to get out of the boat it's time to get out of the boat galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 23 tells me that my sin nature is even more recognizable than that of the jews that jesus recognized he, he tells me there that if you walk in the spirit you'll not fulfill this the desires of the flesh the lusts of the flesh and then he goes on to tell me there's a war going on he says that the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and you cannot do the things that you will if it's under uh, just by personal desire or self-effort no you can't do it he says but if you walk in the spirit then you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh he just spends three verses describing what the works of the flesh look like so that we can look at that list and the last one is a catch-all it says and such like things like this so if you don't find your favorite sin on that list it doesn't mean it's not there it means it's in those last three words and such like but he says if that's what you're seeing in your life then you're not walking in the spirit and then he says what the fruit of the Spirit is. You'll notice it's a singular fruit. It has nine aspects, but it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, uh, f- kindness, faith, meekness, temperance. I, I missed one there. It says, against such there is no law. That's what we're supposed to be seeing. And if we walk that way, he's going to produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives and we're not going to fall prey to the old sin nature so why was peter in the boat in the first place because jesus told him to be that's fine and jesus peter and the other disciples were told to get in that boat and head for the other side of the lake peter was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing and if he had not been then this whole story wouldn't have happened he had to be in the right place to start with when Jesus approached the boat, that put a whole different spin on things. And Peter saw an opportunity and asked Jesus for some authority to do something unusual. And Jesus gave the authority. Peter responded in faith. Now he could have done something else. When Peter said, come, Peter only had two choices. He could stay in the boat and make excuses and start mouthing his good intentions and but he's still staying in the boat. That's not faith. That's disobedience. Or he could get out of the boat and start walking. Those are the choices. Had Peter stayed in the boat, none of this lesson would be there. Had he not taken his eyes off Jesus so that he sank, so that we see that we have to focus on Jesus in order to walk in the Spirit, then this lesson wouldn't be there for us. You see, w- w- the Christian life is not hard, it's impossible. Walking on water is impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible. Jesus did it because he's God. Walking on water is not natural. The things we're trying to do as believers, our walk in the Spirit, is not natural. This is not something we're to do on our own. This has, got to, have, has to be God working through us. And Jesus commands us to do it every day, all the time. It's never going to become old stuff. It's always going to depend on our trust and obedience. and It's going to depend on his authority. And when we fail as we do we don't lose our spiritual life we just fall prey to the wind and the waves just like Peter did and we cry out to Jesus and he lifts us back up so in this case what does it mean to be in the boat means we got to be doing what God wants us to do be where he wants you to be Uh, some people have problems in different areas you know I can start that uh, when I first became a Christian being in church didn't seem all that important to me but when i read hebrews ten twenty-five, i think where he says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is but encourage one another stir one another up to love and good works and so much more as you see the day approaching we see the day approaching any of you that are reading the news i know you see it we need to be fellowshipping with one another okay we need to be walking with jesus if I can see I'm not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, I need to stop, confess my sin. Whatever it was that was holding me back, and begin again to do what he says to do. Some of those things, we're reading First Thessalonians 5, where he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's personal. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. That's personal this is his will concerning you so i can start there after confession i can worship him for the glory of his creation around me i can thank him for the blessings he's already given i can pray for other believers and for the for the lost i can pray for opportunities to share the lord with others with the lost i can ask him to make me usable in his hand you ever pray for god to change your life to make you usable in his hand you know, I've got some tools that right now they're not usable to me. Why? Because when I inherited them, they were dull as a hoe, and they still are, but they're woodworking tools. they got to be sharp. So until I take the time to sharpen them, they're not useful. They're good tools. It's just I haven't taken time to sharpen them. Uh, you know what? They haven't prayed to me to ask them to make them usable either. Okay? So if you ever prayed to ask God to make you usable in his hand, to change you, to make you usable, that's a good thing to do. I can ask him what he wants me to do now. That's what Chuck did this morning. Don't be surprised if it's something pretty ordinary. It might just be, go do this maintenance that needs to be done. Okay. If that's what he needs me to do, that's what he needs me to do. Randy asked God for what he wanted him to do, and God says, you take care of Cheryl. Right now, that's Randy's job, full-time job. Cool. Okay. Okay. You've already received God's gift of eternal life. Then you've already received gifts, spiritual gifts, by which you're to bless the other members of the body of Christ. You need to be looking for opportunities to do that. You need to determine how to walk with him. Ask him how to change, how to be made over into his likeness. We already know self-effort won't work. We've seen that presumption won't work. We've seen the desire alone, no matter how sincere, it won't work. You have to learn to walk in the Spirit by faith and allow Jesus to choose your path, direct your steps, and live the Christian life through you. That's how it works. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But if you are walking with him in all these things, then you're going to recognize his voice when he says for you to do something that wasn't on your agenda. You think, whoa, that? Huh cool let's do it and you get out of the boat see you get out of your comfort zone you step down off of that fairly secure wooden platform that's tossing around in the water okay and you do what he asks you to do why because you're already prepared to step out and obey let's go ahead and pray father in heaven we ask for your mercy we ask for your guidance we ask for your wisdom to be poured out through us as we seek to walk with you and to see our lives change into your likeness as we learn to walk with you, as we learn to believe your word and follow your word and understand your word. We ask you to help us to study your word and learn to be workmen that don't need to be ashamed because we're rightly dividing the word of truth. ask for your blessing as we go in Jesus' name. We're going to sing one more